You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. That's unmerited favor to the humble. As I sat there and those loud thunderclaps and the dog and all, and my mind went to um, when in the Old Testament, God comes down on Mount Sinai. The writer of Hebrews reminds us of that in Hebrews chapter 12. You don't need to turn to it, but he talks about when God came down and the thunder and everything, and it was so awesome. It says even Moses was trembling with fear. You don't want God opposing you. God does not take our pride lightly. He sees our hearts and has witnessed every thought and action we've participated in. In today's message, as Pastor Danny continues our study in 1 Peter, he'll remind us of the importance of humility as we approach our powerful and loving Father. His grace is immense. He went to extreme lengths to demonstrate that to us. But he's also just, and if you abuse his grace, especially by taking advantage of others, you can expect the consequences to be pretty harsh. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5 with today's edition of The Living Word. First Peter chapter 5, if you have the place, verse 1, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, that would be Jesus, appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. And then he says, all of you, that would be all of us, listen up, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because, and here's a great motivation, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, and he's a real enemy, he's real. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, and I can't tell you what that little while is, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power 
forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. Different ideas on who Babylon he's talking about is here or who she is in Babylon, but more than likely he's talking about the church. The church in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. More than likely John Mark, who's not a biological son to Peter, but became a spiritual son to the apostle Peter. Greet one another with a kiss of love. That was a cultural thing. It's not my deal. But you know, there are a few people around here, even guys to guys, and I'll see them, and they'll come up and give the guy a kiss on one cheek and the other. You know, I've had it happen to me, and I received it. Just understand, I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> I received it. But it's a cultural thing. If you're into it and the other guy, he's okay with it, fine. Ladies, you, you're into it, make sure it's a kiss. It's a Christian kiss, not a marital kiss. It's a Christian kiss little cheeky thing. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And there are the final words to the first epistle that Peter penned for us, inspired by the Holy Spirit. There is a lot you could pick apart here, but there's one central theme, and that's what I feel led to focus on, the central theme of this last chapter, and it's easy to identify. It's simply humility. That's the theme. Shepherds who are humble, they are willing servants, they are not in ministry for the money, they don't lord it over the flock, but they lead by example. Christians who are Christ-like are humble. And that's why he says, all of you, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. Humility. A great motivation, let me say it again, great motivation from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. That's what he quotes there in verse 5. Great motivation is God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. I don't know if you had the privilege, I know some of you more than likely did, the last week or so to experience some of the incredible thunderstorms that we've had. Uh, they say we uh, live in the lightning capital of the world, and uh, I was laying on the couch one afternoon this past week taking a nap, and I was awakened suddenly by what I consider to be one of the loudest claps of thunder. I've ever heard in my life. It woke me up. No sooner was I awake than I noticed our dog, Hushai, was running over toward me for cover and consolation. He was literally shaking in his fur. No sooner did the dog get by me and I'm starting to pet the dog and try to console him, you know, than another clap of thunder comes and he jumps up. Actually, I called him up. Come up here because now I wanted some consolation. <laughs> and there were three or four of these incredible claps of thunder and lightning. And I sat there, and I was so thankful, because that's my heavenly Father that did that. And I was so thankful, I'm on his side now. There was a time I wasn't. God opposes the proud. Last person in the world you want opposing you is God. God opposes the proud. But he gives grace. That's unmerited favor 
to the humble. As I sat there and those loud thunderclaps and, and the dog and all, and uh, my mind went to uh, when in the Old Testament, God comes down on Mount Sinai. The writer of Hebrews reminds us of that in Hebrews chapter 12. You don't need to turn to it, but he talks about when God came down and the thunder and everything, and it was so awesome, it says even Moses was trembling with fear. You don't want God opposing you. God has a lot to say about pride. Proverbs 16, 5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Sobering words. Proverbs 21, verse 4, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked are sin. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, six things the Lord hates. And the first one he mentioned, seven that are detestable to him, but the first one, haughty eyes. Translated in another place, a proud look. Isaiah, here's what God said through Isaiah. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that's exalted, and they will be humbled. Stupid is as stupid does, and you don't want to be proud. Humble yourself. Humble myself. Now, don't answer out loud. Just think about it for a minute. Here's a question. What was the original sin? And while you're thinking, I'm going to give you a clue. The original sin happened before God put Adam and Eve, the first two human beings, in the Garden of Eden in paradise. Happened before Adam and Eve. Let's go to a couple of scriptures. 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, these are qualifications for elders, deacons, leaders in the church. And one is very interesting for overseers. It says in verse 6, he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited. That's a synonym of pride. He may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Leave the New Testament, go back to Ezekiel chapter 28. And before we read, quite a few places in the Old Testament, uh, there are scriptures that relate to more than one thing. It may relate, for example, to a historical figure, a human figure, and also a future prophetic figure. And we have scriptures like that. This is one. It begins, verse 1, like this. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, say to the ruler of Tyre. This is a historical human ruler of the past. This is what the sovereign Lord says. In the pride of your heart, you say, I'm a God. I sit on the throne of a God in the heart of the seas. But you're a man and not a God, though you think you're as wise as a God. So God had something to say through Isaiah to the historical, a historical ruler over Tyre. But as you continue to read, you find out there's another person he's talking to here and talking about. Verse 11, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Now here's where he gets interesting. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now we know he's not talking about this historical ruler of Tyre. He's talking about somebody else that was in the garden of Eden. Every precious stone adorns you. Ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, beryl. I mean, stunning beauty. 
Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. What's a cherub? It's an angelic being created by God. A high-ranking angelic being created by God. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. That's in the heavenlies. You walked among the fiery stones. That's no doubt other angelic beings. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you, and then you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, kicked you out of heaven, and expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor, so I threw you to the earth. Folks, there's no doubt this is Lucifer. This is Satan. This is the devil. And he committed the original sin. And the original sin is pride. He became proud. That's why God says the things he says about pride and why he opposes the proud. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Just ask the one God's using to pen this epistle, 1 Peter. Remember, Jesus said to Peter, tell you the truth, Peter, before the cock crows, you'll deny three times that you know me. Peter said emphatically, no, not going to happen. I'll die with you. Well, Peter's been pretty successful. I mean, he's the one that stepped forward when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter revealed to him by the heavenly father, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Feeling pretty good about his life and ministry. But he was proud. And that's what led to his fall. Now, rather than give a definition of biblical humility, I've chosen, and I, I think the Lord led me this way, to give some biblical characteristics of a humble person. Biblically humble. Here's the first one. They're a servant. Our greatest example, of course, is Jesus. Philippians chapter 2. Here's what it says about him. Verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held onto, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Matthew chapter 20 says that Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Fascinating passage in Luke 12. It's a parable, but it's a parable that talks about Jesus, the master, when he comes back. And it says when he comes back in his second coming, he'll have us recline at tables, and he'll come and wait on us. Fascinating to me that the very nature of God includes the heart of a servant. He's a servant. And that's what a biblically humble person is, they're a servant. Second, Philippians 2 verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. The truly humble person before the Lord is submissive and obedient. James chapter 4, parallel passage to what we're looking at in 1 Peter. You might want to take a quick look at that. If not, just listen and I'll read it for you. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, and he quotes Proverbs 3, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Next verse, very important. Submit yourselves then to God. 
Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, listen up. There are times we need to plead the blood of Jesus. There are times you use the name of Jesus in power. But if you try to plead the blood and use the name of Jesus, and you're not submitted and obedient to the Lord, you're going to get your teeth kicked in by hell. That's just the truth. Never win the battle over the devil unless we're submitted to the Lord. Won't happen. Won't happen. Third characteristic of a biblically humble person, they are dependent. Dependent. Let me read you what David said before he goes out and fights the Philistine named Goliath. He said to King Saul, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He was dependent on the Lord. As a shepherd boy, he had gone out after lions and bears that threatened the flock. And he put his life on the line because he's a true shepherd and a true heart of a shepherd. But his dependency, his dependency is not on his physical ability. His, his dependency is on the Lord. He didn't go out and face Goliath because he's a good shot with a sling, even though he was. He went out and faced Goliath because he depended on the Lord, because he was humble. Biblically humble people don't think very highly of themselves. Romans 12, 3 says not to think too highly of yourself, but think of yourself in sober judgment, with sober judgment in accordance with what God's given you, measure of faith that he's given you, realizing that everything we are and everything we have come from heaven. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, James chapter 1. And then they don't focus attention on themselves. They don't draw attention to themselves. Jesus, again, as an example, Matthew 12, verse 19, he will not quarrel or cry out. You will not hear his voice in the streets. He doesn't call attention to himself. And then finally, they give all glory to the Lord. Psalm 115, the first verse of Psalm 115 is just tremendous. Let me, let me read it. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Let me give you some encouragement, quick encouragement. You're an athlete and you score the touchdown, bow a knee or point toward heaven. Because listen, if it weren't for God, you'd never have the ability to be the athlete that you are. You're the captain of the basketball team. You're the one that scores most of the points. Uh, you've won many games hitting that final throw, free throw or whatever at the buzzer, final shot at the buzzer. Listen, give heaven the glory because if it weren't for heaven, you would not have that ability. You're a successful business person. You better make sure you give God the glory because everything we are and everything we have is because of him. I'm talking Christian and non-Christian. Some of the characteristics you'll see of people who are prideful, it's the opposite of these characteristics. It's exactly the opposite. Now, let me give you a couple of points. One is this. Some people who are prideful, thank God, later become humble. Some people who are prideful finally come to the place they realize, I need to humble myself before the Lord. Or they are humbled by the Lord. By the way, it's much better to humble yourself than to be humbled. Much easier path. One of the greatest characters in all the Old Testament, Moses. Acts chapter 7 verse 22 says that Moses was powerful in speech and in action. Remember Moses as a baby, put in the little basket, put it out in the Nile, 
Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the Nile with her attendants, and she basically adopts Moses, and Moses grows up in, the, in a palace known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It says he was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. In other words, he had the best education around in the day, and he was a great speaker. People were impressed by his speaking. Not only was he a great speaker, Moses was a guy who got things done. Pharaoh wanted something done, he'd get, Moses, we need you to do this. And Moses was powerful in action. He'd get things done. But because of his education, because of his great ability in speaking, and because he was a get-or-done kind of guy, that was what led to his terrible mistake. When he goes out one day and an Egyptian is mistreating a Hebrew, Acts tells us Moses knew God had called him to be a deliverer, to deliver his people, the Hebrew people, from the bondage of Egypt. The mistake he made initially was that he, in his own power, defended his Hebrew brother and he killed the Egyptian. And that mistake sent him on the backside of the desert for 40 years for some good Humility training. And after 40 years, here's what Numbers chapter 12, verse 3 says. Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. And now that he's humble, God comes to him in the burning bush there in the desert. And when God comes to him and says, now, now we can do it my way. Because now you're ready. Let me remind you of what Moses says. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And God said, I'll be with you. Well, that wasn't good enough for Moses. So verse 13, Moses says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, what's his name? What am I going to tell them? And God says, you tell them I am who I am. Well, that didn't do it for Moses either. You get in chapter 4, and Moses said, well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And, the Lord, and they say, the Lord did not appear to you. And God did some miraculous things with Moses' hand and with his staff. In other words, I'm going to do miracles. I'll prove myself. It'll be my power. Well, that doesn't do it for Moses. Chapter 4, you go down to verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, oh, Lord, I've never been eloquent. You also got a bad memory. Because 40 years before you were eloquent, you were powerful in speech. But something over those 40 years now, he's not eloquent. He's not powerful in speech. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? In other words, I can help you there. And I love the fifth and final excuse Moses gives. Verse 13, chapter 4, Moses said, Lord, please send somebody else to do it. I'm not the guy. But you are the guy if you're humble. You are the person if you're humble because that's who God's going to shower his grace on. That's who God's going to lift up. That's who God's going to use. That's who God's going to bless. I love the story in the book of Daniel, chapter 4, of one of the greatest non-believing kings in history. His name's Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel, chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar Verse 4 says, I was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous, and I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying on my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So he calls his enchanters, his magicians, and they, he tells them uh, what the dream was he had, and he says, tell me what it means. And they listen to him, and then they say, we don't know what it means. 
So he sends for a guy, he's named Belshazzar, it's Daniel. And Daniel listens to the dream, and Daniel tells him the interpretation of the dream. You've been listening to another edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. The Living Word is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. We're so glad that you took the time to learn some good things from the book of 1 Peter today. There are a lot of injustices that happen in the world, but guess what? This was happening during the Bible times too. In Peter's first letter, he reminds Christians that there will be unjust suffering, even if you do live a righteous life. Does that seem just a little unfair? Look at the example of Job in the Old Testament. He was a godly and upright man who endured much grief, pain, and loss on a personal level. Although these types of suffering are painful, God notices and sees your hurt, and He sees the persecution for standing up for Him, and He will reward you justly. If you've enjoyed hearing from Pastor Danny today and would like to listen to other teachings, feel free to visit our sermon archive at ccfstpete.church. If you don't yet have a church to call home, we would love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet on Saturday nights at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. Feel free to come just as you are. That's all the time that we have for today. But thanks again for tuning in with Pastor Danny to hear relatable things from the book of 1 Peter. Stay tuned for what God has for you right here on The Living Word.